Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to San Francisco City Insider, the San Francisco Chronicle podcast on the people and politics making headlines in the city by the bay. I'm Chronicle columnist Heather Knight, and I'm here today with Kristen Evans. She owns three businesses in the Haight and is the president of the Haight-Ashbury Merchants Association. We're talking about business troubles on the street with never-ending construction, the fate of the old McDonald's, and when the city will ever see the Prop C money she helps secure. Kristen Evans, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So you own three businesses in the hate. Can you briefly walk me through what those are and how long they've been in operation? Yeah, so the booksmith has been in the hate ashbury since uh, 1976 and was founded by Gary and Debbie Frank, um, who still own the building. And um, I took over the booksmith um, in 2007. Um, it's over 40 years old now. Wow. And um, the other two businesses um, are newer to me. Um, the Alembic, a very popular Haight-Ashbury um, craft cocktail bar mm-hmm. that was founded by Dave McLean, is next door to the space that we took over a year prior, the bindery space in the old Red Victorian movie house. Mm-hmm. So uh, between the three businesses, it's... Um, uh, a lot of work, but a lot of fun. <laughs> in your copious free time, you're also the president of the Haight-Ashbury Merchants Association. Correct. And how many members does that have? So the Haight-Ashbury Merchants Association represents about 150 storefronts along Haight Street, um, of which about 140 are occupied currently. Mm-hmm. Um, dues-paying members, we've had o- about 90 okay. historically. Mm-hmm. And the street has been undergoing, seems like, some kind of construction work or another pretty much for at least five years, probably longer. Yes. It, so there was some initial emergency sewer work that started, I think, in 2014. Um, was supposed to be a short uh, project, ended up lasting two years, resulting in the termination of the subcontractor. This was the first time that the city's actually fired a contractor, oh. I think, in several decades. Wow. Yes. And then what happened after that? Because there's still... Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, w- there were a lot of gas leaks and um, sinkholes associated with that work, and it was really disruptive to the businesses on that 1400 block of mm-hmm. H Street. Um, but what had also been planned was a public realm effort, and that was th- thought to be in anticipation of the 50th anniversary of the Summer of Love. The work is actually happening. That is coming gone. After <laughs> the anniversary. Um, but it uh, was a lengthy community process that actually was initiated with Ross Mercurimi, funded by Christina Loggi, restarted wow. by London Breed, and continued under um, Valley, uh, Valley Brown. Brown. And now uh, we have Dean Preston. So um, it's been a lengthy process. And that uh, construction work started about two years ago and mm-hmm. is scheduled to end in June 2021. Wow. So what has all this work done to businesses on the street in terms of foot traffic? And Yeah. Unfortunately, foot traffic is down. Um, but, you know, we tried to do our best to educate our members 
about what they could anticipate in terms of construction impacts. Mm -hmm. uh, the Castro merchants had gone through a recent uh, major public realm uh, redo, and some of our business owners also had businesses located in that corridor, so they were able to share information about how disruptive um, the impacts on foot traffic and sales. So we were anticipating about a 30 to 40 percent uh, potential impact mm -hmm. to, you know, sales. And so businesses were asked to really see what they could do. You know, we either negotiating with the landlord because a lot of us are in, locked into long term leases uh, for interim, you know, uh, rent uh, flexibility. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, obviously most stores ended up cutting staff. Wow. How's business at the Booksmith? We hear reports from of the imminent demise of independent uh, booksellers all the time because of Amazon, but it doesn't seem like that that's actually coming to pass. Yeah, no, um, certainly when, um, you know, Amazon's been on the rise, but most of the independent bookstores have found ways to uh, uh, survive and thrive in the internet era, and Booksmith is not an exception to that. Mm -hmm. um, so we really, really emphasized the experience of coming into a store and discovering books that you didn't even know about. Amazon can be really great if you know, like, I want that particular title or I follow a particular author. But um, I think m about 60% uh, of purchases are in, a, in an independent bookstore unplanned. Oh, wow. That's cool. So <laughs> it gives people an opportunity to come. And, you know, we have little shelf talkers on the shelves, and that uh, leads to people picking up books that they didn't know about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are your best... Um Shelf labels. I've seen the Green Apple Books ones. They're pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they're all written by staff, uh -huh. uh, members of our staff. We have um, six full-time and uh, 10 part-time uh, staff members. Uh -huh. And so everybody has interest, different interests. And so we have somebody that is really into true crime. So we have a really interesting true crime section uh, curated. Um, obviously, we had Manson was famously in the neighborhoods. So yeah, <laughs> that's one best, the best the best seller out of the t out of that section. But cool. yeah, how are um, your businesses managing to thrive while several others have been closing? I know um, Hates Ashbury Music Center is closing, Ambiance is closing. I think there's about ten vacancies mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I don't think it's a sales problem. Um, most of our businesses uh, beyond the construction are actually seeing. Um, a, a diver diversification of our revenue to internet sales. So no brick and mortar store is really simply brick and mortar anymore. Um, about 10% of my business is online. I know the music stores is doing about 15% mm -hmm. of, of business online. What has happened is while we've been able to continue to grow our sales at our top line, the rent is actually going up faster. Mm. So, and and I would say couple that with also uh, in, increased employee costs. So, you know, we've had a steep rise in the minimum wage and some additional uh, benefits um, costs that have uh, fell onto uh, business owners. And that uh, equation is not penciling out for mm -hmm. a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. Is there some point at which landlords have to just back off these rent increases? Because if they're forcing people to move out. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I was a big supporter for the minimum wage, but I knew that, the, you know, besides my cost of goods, I have two major costs and that's rent and employee costs. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, outside of cutting my uh, staff back and being really lean and mean and using technology to be super efficient in the way that I run my store, um, it really has to come from the rent. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, the old McDonald's at Hayden's Canyon remains a major blight on the neighborhood. Um, even though the city bought it and plans to build affordable housing eventually, it's still a parking lot. I was out there yesterday. There was one car parked there, mm-hmm. and it's covered in graffiti. <laughs> um, it's mm-hmm. just not very mm-hmm. pleasant, even though the whole point was that it was a blight, and that's why they bought it. Yeah. Um, the, McDon- what's your feeling on that? Well, McDonald's was never you know, the most popular business in the neighborhood anyway, right? Mm-hmm. And so right. I think people were really excited when the city acquired that lot, and um, we were going to see... Um, some affordable housing built. Um, Of course, everyone knew that it was going to take some time and there were some proposals to actually activate the lot. And that included a neighborhood coalition, which includes merchants, residents, and uh, homeless service providers to come up with a proposal for an interim use. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a competing proposal that you've written about, Mm -hmm. uh, a street soccer Mm -hmm. um, use, um, the mayor's office led us through an interim a use process, um, and in the end, they elected to not proceed with either. Right. Was that frustrating to you because it's just going to be a parking lot indefinitely? Yeah. I mean, I I think I had shared this with you before that we were frustrated that they also said, well, the merchants really want parking. So they kind of made it like. Blamed it on you. <laughs> blamed it on me. But, you know, we were really clear that, you know, while we liked having a portion of the lot used for parking, we actually had conceived of a joint community plan for a third, a third, a third, Mm -hmm. a third community space with an arts and music stage. A lot of the merchants were going to contribute programming, like we're going to have authors coming and speaking and talking on the stage, um, local musicians. And then we were going to have um, a third of it also for homeless services. Um, The hate has a unique challenge and that we have uh, a homeless youth population that is different than homeless the homeless populations around the city mm-hmm. and um, a lot of uh, people um, really want to see you know longer term solutions to addressing the challenges of having uh, visible homelessness in our neighborhood and so you know there's a lot of support for having uh, services to help navigate people to uh, housing mm-hmm. I know that you've helped um, city officials look for navigation center sites within District 5, and mm-hmm. they keep saying, oh, we're looking, we're looking, but yeah. there's still no proposal. Well, so I went back into my email thread, and, you know, it, it's, it is – that's probably more frustrating than the McDonald's lot is – Lots of it, reasons to be frustrated. <laughs> you know, four years ago, uh, when the first navigation center opened in the mission, uh, supervi- then-supervisor Breed – um, was uh, at the podium. I was in the audience. Mary Howe, the executive director from Homeless Youth Alliance, was in the audience. And the reason why we were there is because she actually said, you know, this is a new model for shelters. Mm-hmm. And it's ideal for homeless youth like those that we have in the hate. And the reason for it is because of the three Ps, right? Pets, partners, and packs. So you have groups of people that are living in the parks Um, in the daytime and in the uh, merchant's doorways in the hate in the evenings. And uh, they tend to be be in groups of like two to 20. And, you know, they have they have dogs, they have um, their belongings with them. And so the idea of the Navigation Center being this welcoming place that would also potentially be not necessarily dry, sober space, but also a place where people could also uh, partake of drugs and alcohol um, was what we saw as a real solution for um, uh, navigating homeless youth who tend to get themselves, you know, off the street by the time that they're 30. About 90 percent of them do. But um, if, if they're connected with people earlier and harm reduction services 
sobering services, jo um, job training services, and housing services, mm -hmm. then they're going to be off the street sooner. Mm -hmm. So why has it taken so long to find a space? Uh, that would be a question that <laughs> I would love to get a straight answer. <laughs> you know, the reality is, is that uh, site has been the reason given. But the reality is, is there's a lot of sites in the hate. I've visited them. I've walked them. I think they're totally suitable. My favorite uh, mention to you is this uh, park and rec parking lot is currently being used for park and rec vehicles. It's right between the police station and Alvord Lake where a lot of homeless youth hang out. Mm -hmm. It's also right next to Kizar Pavilion, which has showers and toilets. Um, they have uh, this very large parking lot that mobile um, uh, units could be established. So that was my favorite location. There's also, this, as you mentioned, the 730 Stanion a lot, uh, Hamilton Church and other locations mm -hmm. in, the, in the area. So in your mind, there's no reason that there shouldn't be one. Not there. really, no. Yeah. I'm Heather Knight, and I'll be right back after this. I'm back with Kristen Evans. You made the news over a year ago for spearheading the passage of Prop C to raise taxes on the city's biggest businesses to pay for homeless services. Mm -hmm. And you were widely credited with getting Salesforce CEO Mark Benioff to join the Yes on C team along with Yes, I tweeted that in. <laughs> How did you get him on board? You know, um, so I misunderstood a tweet that uh, somebody had put out there. They were live tweeting a Salesforce uh, conversation he was having with uh, Mayor Breed. And he had said something along the lines that uh, homelessness was offering the four seasons of homeless services. And I said, this is why billionaires, you know, need to be taxed. They're so out of touch. They don't even understand. I mean, just the idea of you equating think the sidewalk is a, a four I, I I can't even imagine equating a five star luxury hotel with you know people the people that I see surviving just like barely in in my neighborhood. Right. It felt really wrong. Mm -hmm. So you know I basically said that uh, um, very publicly. Um, he he we ended up direct messaging each other. Ended up talking for over an hour and, you know, kind of business person to business person. We both saw that we have stakeholders, mm -hmm. uh, neighbors, customers. Um, as businesses, we actually thrive when the community is thriving. Mm -hmm. And we had more in common than I, reali I realized. Could you explain his Four Seasons comment? Apparently, it was a quote from a research report put out um, about, yeah, it, it was a homeless person himself that had um described what he felt the experience of coming to San Francisco is like huh. now that's one person yeah. I mean it's obviously not um what I would describe as the typical experience and probably it was a selective quote used mm -hmm. in a report for for a good reason mm -hmm. yeah so Prop C did pass but um there's a dispute now because it passed with more than a majority but not two-thirds and so it's tied mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. in court yeah. and what's the latest when do you think we'll finally see that money so released? uh it's, a, it's an excellent question. The city's been collecting the funds now since last year. Um, by, the, by the time that the court case is settled, probably in a year or two, we could have almost a billion dollars wow. to spend on solutions for permanent solutions for, for housing or homeless. I know that Mayor Breed's been really focused on shelter, and she's uh, the Chronicle just reported that she's likely to hit her 1,000 shelter bed target. Mm -hmm. But shelters are just temporary, and especially if you we have this long wait list for people to get on, into a temporary 90-day shelter bed, then they're back on the street right after that. 
uh, period of time. We need longer term solutions. Mm -hmm. What would you like to see that money spent on? Yeah. So Propsy allocates 50 percent to permanent housing. And I think that that is really key. Um, But obviously some people are not going to be able to stay in permanent housing if they have severe mental illness or addiction issues. So another part of Propsy funded mental and behavioral health. Um, It also looked at um, uh, homelessness prevention uh, with rental subsidies. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my neighbors, Eileen, is born and raised San Franciscan. She has low IQ and has been on social security disability her entire life. Um, She's now 60 and um, her rent is now 90% of her social security disability oh, wow. check. She has to live on less than $130 a month for mm-hmm. all of her basic needs. That includes her food, her, um, you know, uh, necessities for the bathroom, for, you know, cleaning her clothes, mm-hmm. um, new clothes. And so she relies heavily on, um, you know, friends in a network. Wow. But she's an example of somebody that I mean, it's really very, you know, messed up to have someone that is a born and raised San Franciscan living in such an impoverished circumstance. Um, that that I think every time we have the conversation about what's fair, you know, how much should Jack Dorsey and and Twitter and Square pay, I I just think of Eileen and I say, the businesses can pay a little more. I think Jack Dorsey can do better. I I think so too. Okay. Well, you've survived the serious questions. Yes. And now it's time for the lightning round. (laughs) Oh, cool. What is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? Um, so there's a fun place on Haight Street, relatively new, called Street Taco, and they oh. have a really yummy shrimp burrito. Nice. Yeah. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Ooh. Um, uh, so I married a axe murder. Yes. yes. That's <laughs> I, my think I, too. I haven't watched it in like a while, but. <laughs> <That's the correct> <laughs> <answer>. <laughs> yep. I think I know what you're going to say to this one, considering you own a bar. But what is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a stiff drink? It is true. I, I mean, I, I was a patron of the Olympic before I became uh, an owner. Okay. Uh, but it, we there's a particular drink that um, the founding bartender, Daniel Hyatt, made called the Southern Exposure, which mm. is really yummy and lovely. What's in and, it? Uh, it's, it's a gin-based drink uh, with cucumber. Um, but we've had with the, with a change in ownership, a new bar manager come in and, and Kat makes a mean night market, which is also a gin based drink, but it has a lemongrass shrub and it's really yummy. Even if you don't like alcohol, you can mix that with a sparkling water and it's really yummy. Wow. Yeah. The international reputation of Haight-Ashbury, accurate or overblown? Well, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All, all of it's true. I mean, that's what attracted me to the Haight-Ashbury. I, I grew up in the East Bay, and um, I uh, married a man from India who had spent the last 20 years of his life working here in the, in the Bay Area. And uh, I was frequently going to India, and I loved just the energy and the chaos and, you know, the, the buzz of living in New Delhi. And um, Haight-Ashbury is pretty much the closest thing you can get to that. <laughs> yeah, for better yeah, or for worse. Exactly. As a bookstore owner, do you read a lot at home or are you sick of books in the evening and just want to turn on Netflix? That's a good question. I, you know, uh, a lot of Netflix is uh, book based, Mm -hmm. right? So you don't really get away from books by going on to Netflix, right? It's so interesting to see you. If you want to know what's going to be playing on Netflix, like read the bestsellers now, you know? Um, No, but I I do enjoy reading and I also listen to audiobooks Mm -hmm. both. Um, uh, But yeah, there's so many great books. Yeah. What is your favorite book of all time? 
Oh, I get that question a lot. I, you know, okay, I'm going to put Margaret Atwood on there mm-hmm. right now because I did go back and reread it, you know, when Handmaid's the TV, Tale. Handmaid's Tale, when the, when the um, uh, TV series came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I had read it as a teenager and had really responded to it. But, you know, it's also just really responsive to the political moment. I mean, yeah. it's so uh, foretelling <laughs> and, and it helps us graphs of bet, bet in, in, a, in, a, in an interesting way her sequel the testaments um uh follows three of the major characters from the handmaid's tale including aunt lydia mm-hmm. now i don't know if you remember aunt lydia's role but she basically was the, the matron over the handmaids yeah and she was sort of this evil um in the first book yeah in the second book we learn a lot about who she was and she was a she was a judge and she you know basically had a she came into a situation where male society was no longer going to allow women to have jobs or really even have power positions so she found she carved out like the one power position that she could find in that society do you recommend the testaments i haven't read it yet yeah it's a good it's a really good read yeah. is it as good as the first yeah and it's different you know because it's written 20 years later and it's trying to also respond to um, you know a lot of what margaret atwood has had in terms of dialogue with her readers over that period of time who is your favorite San Francisco author? Oh, um, okay. That is going to get me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> That's for, what I'm aiming for, to for, do. For, for, for answering that. Um, but I will say that I, I have read everything by Andrew Shangrier, mm-hmm. who is a lower hate um, resident. And he's got a lot of people don't know his books. And that's why I want to mention him is um, he did win the Pulitzer Prize for less, which is semi autobiographical and totally comic and dark and lovely about a middle aged gay man who is traveling the world in literary circles. But he's also in a lot of historical fiction Mm -hmm. that has uh, magical realism in it. Um, And uh, one of my favorite books is called The Story of a Marriage. And it's uh, set in the inner sunset. And oh, wow. it's uh, a period of time, right, following uh, World War II, um, a man marries an African-American woman. And that's, the inner sunset's one of the only few places in San Francisco that they're allowed to live as a as an interracial couple. Hmm. Um, so it's a really beautiful, quiet book. Mm-hmm. And I love it. Great. I'll put it on my list. Sounds good. Lastly, what is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Uh, well, so I... You know, I adopted a dog a year and a half ago, Joey Pistachio, (laughs) and he's my constant companion, and he's actually getting me out so much more. I think people say that when they get a dog, but it's so true, and I'm discovering all these wonderful dog-friendly beaches and parks, and yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So I try to carve something out every day for for him. And now he's seen a podcast of you. Yes, he has. He's <laughs> he's a really good sport. He comes with me to community meetings. He hangs out in the bookstore. So I do try to get him out once in a while, too. <laughs> well, thank you and Joey for coming here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you to Kristen Evans for joining me today, to King Kaufman and Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and to you for listening. San Francisco City Insider is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe and give us a quick review wherever you get your podcasts. Support San Francisco City Insider and a lot of great journalism with a print or digital subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.